We're, uh, we're in the middle of a series right now, or not in the middle, we're finishing off a series uh, called Watching and Waiting, and we've been walking through the idea of, of Advent, which is really uh, a revisiting of the waiting of Israel for their Savior, and as we've prayed uh, through a little bit already this morning, the idea that as we reflect on that, we look forward with angst, anxiety at times, a feeling of walking through shadow and darkness, of anticipating the second coming of Jesus Christ. In fact, when we sing Joy to the World, which we'll be doing tomorrow, and we sang caroling this week, um, that is actually a song that's, that's anticipating the, the second coming or proclaiming the second coming of Jesus Christ. So we're, we're, we're kind of landing the plane on our Advent series, and we invite you all to come back tomorrow as we celebrate uh, Christmas tomorrow night. Tomorrow will be uh, at 3 and 4.30, and it'll just be about an hour. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll sing all the songs you want to sing. Uh, we'll read some scripture together, reflect, and send you home to your, to your family and friends. Uh, if you have your Bibles, open them up to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1, verse 26 through to 38. This is the proclamation by the angel Gabriel to Mary. And I'm going to invite you to stand out of respect for God's word. As we read this, it'll also be on the screen behind me. Luke chapter 1, verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your let it sorry, let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. God of grace, I pray you would speak to us this morning through your word. Give us understanding, give us an openness to your spirit and what he may say to us this morning and what he might be inviting us into and calling us to this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, guys, you can take a seat. What I want to do, actually, is quickly read through this this text one more time and just point out a few things to give us some understanding and some context as we walk through this this morning. So if you can put it back to the beginning of the scripture there, that would be awesome. So it says, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel, in the sixth month, just previous to this story in this text, is the, the angel arriving and telling uh, Elizabeth, uh, Elizabeth that she is going to have a child. And so the sixth month is speaking of Elizabeth's sixth month of pregnancy. Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. Nazareth was probably a city of 
300 to 500 people. This is a small village, thatched roofs, uncut stone for walls. Uh, to a virgin betrothed, engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favorite one. The word greetings there in the Greek is, is a kind of grace to you. There is grace, there is gifts being given to you, O favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled. Do you think when the fiery one shows up, a fiery being shows up with your thatched roof? <laughs> Can you just duck a little bit? Uh, but she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, I love it when angels say this to human beings. Don't be afraid. <laughs> well, no, why would I be? For you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, one who saves. He will be great and will be called Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob, or Israel, forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I'm a virgin? I think that's a good question. And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son. That's one of God's favorite miracles, by the way. Those who, have thought to, uh, those who believe they can no longer have children to be given children. And this is the sixth month with her who has called, was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant or bond servant, which means I am connected to you. Your story is better than my story. So I'm going to submit to that of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Now, take everything that you know about the Christmas story, all the warm feelings that you have, uh, if, you, if you've grown up in the church or even not, you have some nostalgia connected with Christmas songs and, uh, you know, baby Jesus who, who uh, you know, no crying he makes and he has golden diapers, but he doesn't need them because he never poops anyway because everything's perfect. <laughs> all these wonderful things that we, we have and these memories that we've created in our minds. Get rid of all that. This is a crazy, absurd story, right? Amen. Like your friend comes to you and she says, I have an interesting story for you. You're probably not going to buy it, but this is, what, this is what happened. That's when we start making phone calls and gathering some godly counsel because this person needs some Imagine that visit to the doctor, or maybe not doctor, but telling a friend, so you're pregnant. Yes. How far along are you? Uh, not really sure. Who's the father? The Holy Spirit. Okay. Okay. And are you thinking of, uh, of any names? Well, I'm thinking uh, son of the most high. That would be good. You're not narcissistic. Um, I thought maybe Son of God would be, would be good. I'm kind of tossing, tossing them up. This is what we would call, if you visited this person and they spoke to you, that this would be delusional, right? I mean, I, I, I started thinking about that and what those conversations might look like. I started, we, if someone approached me and told me this story, an angel came, I'm going to have a, a son, he's going to be child of the live, child of the living God. He's going to be the answer to all these ancient prophecies, by the way, and God chose me to do this. Okay, that's a good story. I, I, I looked up uh, the idea of, of delusional, and there's, there's four factors that fall in when we, when we think of uh, what it means to be delusional, four characteristics. So I, I, and I think they line up. Let's go with the first one. 
The person having the belief believes it to be true, even when the existing norm and other people know it to be untrue, which everyone around her would feel that way. Next. The person having the delusion will not listen to any other viewpoints about the belief and will not consider change when evidence challenges the delusion. Mary, women don't just get pregnant because of the Holy Spirit. Mary, angels don't just show up and tell you you're going to be the answer to all these, these prophecies. The content of the delusions is impossible or implausible. And then the last one, the delusion impacts the person's daily life. Do you think this might impact Mary's daily life? So check, 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 right? It's, it's all there. Now, Mary can save herself a lot of trouble. She can simply say, oh, Gabriel's gone. <laughs> Let's just pretend this didn't happen. No muss, no fuss. I don't tell anybody. I just continue on with my life. All the plans I have for my life, I can still live those out, and it, it, it won't really matter. But basically, Mary says, no, I'm in, with one of the most powerful statements at the end of this text. She says, I'm, I'm in. Now, what does it mean for you and I when we are called to live out an absurd life in front of the world? An absurd life to say, I'm going to be a part of something much bigger. I'm not going to live just the day-to-day and make decisions just based on the day-to-day. I'm in a much larger story. I have a much larger worldview than just that. So I'm going to live out that kind of life. That is, that is absurd to the world that we live in. But basically, in a nutshell, what we are called to do and what we see in Mary's life is that we are called to give in, to live in, and to love the story that God's inviting us into. To give into it, to live in it, and to love the gospel story, the good news. First, we see Mary give in. Mary understands her life is not her own. It's playing out in something much larger. Behold, I am the, serv- I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be done to me according to your word. A, a bond servant was someone who-, who declared their lack of rights in light of someone else's to say, you have all the rights over my life. I'm attaching my, my story to your story. It's, it's giving itself, oh, everything that you, you thought about yourself, all the plans you had, everything you thought you deserved, you're placing it aside to allow this other person to take over and rule your life. That is one of the most clarifying statements of Mary at the end of this text. Behold, I'm the bondservant of Christ. I'm the servant of the Lord. Let it be, that, that statement, let it be done to me according to your will. What a self-sacrificing statement. That is, is radical, to say something like that. This is very unpopular today. To say that you will give up your rights in light of something else. To say there's something bigger than just what I want and my, my individual needs or wants. So I'm going to give into something. Now, I think we should have a healthy trepidation when we're going to give our life over to something. I think that's important. Uh, but Mary has, has taken in the whole story and she says, I'm in. I'm going, to, I'm going to give in to this. What does that look like in our lives? It, it's good when it's part of this beautiful a Bible story, and we have it all tucked around with different angel visits and things like that. What does it mean for us, 2018, almost 2019, to say, I'm going to give in to this story? Uh, this, is, this picture here is, is of an actress named Dolores Hart. Do we have that shot? Dolores Hart. I actually love that picture because that actually reminds me very much of what my wife look, looks like, and very much so when we got married, it looked a lot like that. Um, this is Dolores Hart. We have another shot of her there. And just hold it there for a second. Most of you have probably never heard of Dolores Hart. That's because Dolores Hart, uh, although she had a, a, a very, um, had a lot of opportunity for a great career, in fact, her first movie was with this guy. You might recognize him, a guy named Elvis. 
That was her, her debut at the age of 20, uh, excuse me, at the age of 19. She did 10 movies in five years for Hollywood, starring with other uh, very famous men. When she finished her 10th movie, she, she paid for a one-way ticket to go to a convent in Connecticut and throw everything that the world had planned for her aside to live as a nun and serve the community. If you ever look her up online, you will not find a picture of her without a massive smile on her face because she says that she found a story much better than any story that Hollywood could ever write for her. She was engaged to a man at the time that she had to break off that engagement and over and over she's been asked, don't you love Don was his name? Don't you love Don? She said, absolutely, I love Don, but not all love leads to the wedding altar. And they would visit every Christmas and Easter. He would come to the convent and they would visit until he, he passed away in 2011. But she bought into a story much greater than the one that Hollywood was writing for her. And it wasn't until 2012, after 50 years, she made her way back to Hollywood to be on the red carpet for a documentary on her life called God is Bigger Than Elvis. <laughs> a radical, self-sacrificing, giving over to God's story. Absurd obedience, strange obedience in the eyes of the world. Mary had plans. Mary was a, a young Jewish woman, and at that time she would look forward to marrying a good man, and we find out later that, that Joseph was a good man, planning on have, having kids and being a part of, of her community in, in Nazareth. She had plans. She's placing all of those aside. All of those were challenged when she said, may it be done to me according to your will, because Mary understood that all her plans found clarity and better understanding and better identity and purpose when they played out in this much larger story that she was being invited to. And in fact, that's what the word holiness means, by the way. Holiness is not perfection. It's dedication. As Eugene Peterson says, it's a long obedience in the same direction. There can be all sorts of shifts like this, but it is a long obedience in the same direction, a giving in to this story that God has called us to. And for Mary, there was an understanding that as she brought her story, her plans into this story, they found much more clarity and would be much more enjoyable when lived out in that way. So she was giving in, but she was also going to live in this story. She knew this story that Gabriel was telling her about, and it brought her joy. It gave perspective to her story. A young woman living in Roman-occupied territory where, where she didn't know the future of, of herself or her, or her people, and, she, and Gabriel comes in and invites her and reminds her of this story that God is telling. It gives her clarity for her life going on in a small village of three to 500 people. I, um, when I turned about uh, 40, my eyesight just started going downhill. So when I take those glasses off, some of you become a little blurry. So much so that, you know, people, people used to hand you things like this, and the minute you, I, I grab them now, I have to do this until... I can do this, but that doesn't look as cool. So I do that. But it, it seems like my arm is actually not long enough anymore. I want to get like a telescopic pole that I just clip. You're taking a selfie? No, I'm just trying to read. It's hard. I started using reading glasses when I read now. Um, I won't tell you how strong they're... Yeah, I will. They're... 250. See how big my eyes are? 
When I read, these are fantastic. When I want to see what's right in front of me, these are fantastic. Such clarity. But if I'm reading in the living room and my kids or my wife comes in, I look up. My eyes look big, but I'm not taking anything in. Right? Yeah, I, it seems like I should be able to take it in. You guys are all a blur. right? Actually, I don't mind it. All a, a blur right now. But if I want to take in the larger world around me, I need to take off my glasses that just show me what's right in front of me and put on my other glasses in order to see the whole room and see what's going on. Mary is saying, I'm going to take off these glasses that just are going to show me what's right here in Nazareth of of the small community and my plans of being a wife and and being a mother. And I'm going to Blow the top of the box off and, and, and take the worldview that, that you are giving me, Gabriel, that, that takes place in this beautiful story that God has been telling for thousands of years. That's what Mary is stepping into. Now, again, out of context, a lot of these things Gabriel says make little sense to us. He keeps mentioning David. Well, if you're not a churchgoer, if you don't know the rest of this, this story throughout the, the Hebrew Old Testament, the Hebrew Scriptures, this mention of David might be uh, a little confusing. In order to gain context of, of a world that needs someone to take, to take on the, the, the throne of David, we need to understand David was, was and still is considered the greatest king that ever ruled over Israel. He was like the worldly epitome of a priest and a warrior praying and battling for the safety of his people, writing songs. He, 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 his kingdom was just a highlight of the history of the Israelite nation. So when Gabriel starts mentioning David and all these things would be ringing in Mary's mind as a good Jewish girl, understanding that this is the answer to some prophecies that have been going on for thousands of years. In in 2 Samuel 7, 12 to 13, it says this, and this is is the prophet Nathan speaking to David uh, while he's still alive. He says, for when you die and are buried with your ancestors, I will raise up one of your descendants, your own offspring, and I will make his kingdom strong. He is the one who will build a house, a temple for my name, and I will secure his royal throne forever. Now, specifically speaking about David's son Solomon building the temple, but when he says that last statement, I will secure his royal throne forever, he's saying there's something massive going on. The, the ans- these ancestors of, of you, David, are go- there's going to be an ancestor that comes from your line that is going to rule forever. And we get a lot of clarity and in, in, a, in a text that we, we love to hear this time of year. It gives us warm fuzzies for reasons maybe we don't even understand. Uh, in the, when the prophet Isaiah writes this in Isaiah 9. It says, For a child is born to us, a son is given to us, the government will, be, will rest on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. His government and its peace will never end. He will rule with fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestor David for all eternity. The pa- I love this. The passionate commitment of the Lord of heaven's armies will make this happen. Wow. So imagine these and many other texts rolling around in Mary's mind and kind of focusing in on her and the son that she is going to have. Now, why do we need a king like this? Why do we need a king like this? Let's, let's, uh, let's look at this. Go, can you go back one? Wonderful counselor. Who does not need a wonderful counselor? We live in the noisiest time in human history. I've told my son, you, you can learn more in two hours on Google than it took someone in the 15th century to learn in their whole life. 
right? We, it used to be people talked about, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go searching for knowledge. Now we demand knowledge, right? Now we say, you, Google, tell me now. A library, what's a library? I, I want to take all that time. In, in their book, A Practical Guide to Culture, um, John, uh, sorry, Jim Dennison, no, that's the wrong one, sorry, the right, right slide, uh, trying to get their names here, John Stone Street and Ben Kunkel, which, coolest last names ever, by the way, that sounds like a 70s cop show, Stone Street and Kunkel, get in here, Stone Street, the mayor's, okay, whatever, this is what they say, great book, by the way, they say this, each day, this is the information that's passing through the world, 500 million tweets are sent, 4 million, that's just by my son, no, I'm just kidding, 500 million tweets are sent, 5 million hours of content are uploaded to YouTube, you know how many of those are useful? About a minute, okay? 4.3 billion Facebook messages are posted, 6 billion Google searches are conducted, and 205 billion emails are sent, but we shouldn't confuse information with knowledge or knowledge with wisdom. If there's ever a time you and I have needed good counsel in the middle of all the yelling voices and everything that's going on, it's now. In a world where we can walk in our kitchen and say, okay, Google, what does this mean? Okay, Google, turn on Spotify. Okay, Google, make me a bagel. We can't do that yet, but something like that. We are, we are so used to gaining knowledge, but with very little counsel. Now, someone in my house this week who will remain nameless sat down with their lunch and bowed their head. And before they knew what they said, they said, okay, Google. Yeah, you don't know whether to laugh or cry. <laughs> okay, Google. Now, they caught themselves pretty quick. And like I said, I won't mention any names. In an age where we, where we are able to demand so many things so quickly, we are in dire need of a wonderful counselor, a mighty God, in a time when we are offered so many things that end up leaving us high and dry, so many ideologies, so many yelling voices. We need a mighty God that we can cling to that will never go away, an everlasting Father. In a day where relationships are taken and broken with such ease, where, where many have grown up in fatherless homes, where, where we need the embrace that goes deeper than just a physical we need an everlasting father who's not going anywhere. A prince of peace in a world of, of chaos. Chaos out there, but also chaos in here. Right? Where, where, where terrorists walk into a Christmas market in France, start shooting people. Where you, you can't go on to a, a university anymore without yelling going on with different ideologies and politics being played out. We need a prince of peace. T.S. Eliot wrote this. He said, The endless cycle of idea and action, endless invention, endless experiment, brings knowledge of motion, but not of stillness. Not of peace. Knowledge of speech, but not of silence. We know how to talk. Oh, we know how to talk. <laughs> but do we know how to be quiet and listen? T.S. Eliot wrote that. It sounds like it was wrote... Written, written yesterday. <laughs> it was written eight decades ago. But these are the promises of the story that God is inviting Mary and inviting you and I into uh, that is ruled by a wonderful counselor, a mighty God, an, everla an everlasting father, and a prince 
of peace, the kind of king that puts all other kings in perspective, that puts all other presidents in perspective, and puts all other prime ministers in perspective, the, the kind of king that, that caused so our world doesn't fall apart because politics are going a certain way. So Mary says, I'm all in. Mary says, I'm going to live in this story. But not only that, Mary loves the story. She gives in, she lives in, and she loves the story. Later when Mary is visiting her relative Elizabeth, she, she breaks into song. Now, in, in Scripture, when you break into song, it's never indifferent. It, it always has purpose. It's not, it, there's always something to it. It's not like country music. It always has a purpose. There's always something. Sorry, Nickelback? Okay, I don't know. Anyway, there's, a, there's always a purpose. It's, either, it's usually either lament or joy. Mary is full of joy in this song. Some, some traditions call it the Magnificent. It's the magnifying of God. She is making great, enhancing God in her life. She loves this story. We find joy. So it says this in Luke 1, 46. She, she breaks into this song. My soul magnifies the Lord, makes God big, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. For he has brought down, sorry, he has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. He has spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. That last bit of that. He spoke to Abraham, the beginning of our people, and to all generations forever. He is a God who is trustworthy. He is a God who keeps his word. With my life, I am going to make much of God with a long obedience in the same direction. I am going to continue to follow him, come what may, giving in, living in, and loving this story, this story of the gospel, the good news that God came to dwell among us in order to bring us to himself. That this child that Mary would usher into the world would be the promised redeemer, savior, wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. This kind of story, this kind of king demands our attention, demands our lives. Come what may, I'm in. And we've seen throughout the history of the church that those who choose this story often do so at their own peril, but they do so with the reign of a wonderful counselor, a mighty God, an everlasting father, prince of peace. There are people today that we see in the world who say, I'm going to put all of this aside and I am in this story, come what may. People like Brian McConaughey, who's going to be speaking at the men's breakfast at Mariner in a little while, who, who's the founder of, of Radanac International, formal, former Canadian RCMP officer, who kind of put that aside to put an end, do all he can to put an end to child abuse and human trafficking in Cambodia. People like Gary Haugen, part of uh, International Justice Mission, who, who goes into third world countries and, and saves slaves. Does he do it because it's comfortable? No, it's because he wants to bring this justice and this mighty counsel that, 
that, that takes place in this kind of story. People like Mother Teresa and Martin Luther King Jr., Pastor Tomas, who we work with in Mexico, who, who steps into the, and has been stepping into the unknown for decades now to reach the lost. And thousands of other unnamed people we don't know, and many of you in this room who say each week, in work, in my relationships, I am going, I am in. I'm giving in, I'm living in, and I'm loving this story. In my marriage and in my singleness, I will serve him because his story makes my story complete. And it gives it purpose and identity and full humanity. That's the invitation. That's why Mary is so excited. What does it take? What would it take for you and I to leave this place and say, come what may, May it be done to me according to your will. In all of these ways, in all of these areas, what would it mean? May it be done to me according to your will. Well, it would mean that his story is over our story. That whatever, you, whatever plans you have for this afternoon or this week, they all fall into his story. And they find meaning in his story. Giving in, living in, and loving his story over our story. That kind of choice is absurd today. To live out a larger story when you go to work this week, well, some of you aren't. When you're opening presents this week, hanging out with family, hanging out in living rooms with relatives you see once a year, and you're justified to not be kind to them. When, when, when we're living our lives and someone has done something unjust to us, and you have, you have a way of getting back at them, and you can hurt them, and everyone gathers around you and says, what are you going to do about it? And you say, I'm going to forgive them. That's absurd to the world. When we, when we throw out forgiveness, when we throw out joy, when we throw out concern, when the world walks by, when the world says to you, when you're tempted, you deserve it. Go get it. Pursue it. Consume it. And we say, I don't want to be a bondservant to that. I want to live a long obedience in the same direction, moving closer and closer to my Savior, closer, to close, closer and closer in this story to Jesus Christ. A long obedience in the same direction. I'm going to give in. I'm going to live in. And I'm going to love the story of Christ because in that story, I find my greatest purpose my fullest identity, and my fullest humanity. You know, there's, there's a great opportunity in this season to speak of this kind of stuff. There's a real openness at Christmas when, when, when we're so focused on the, the humble king in the manger, the, the humility of, of Mary. Uh, for those of you who came and sang carols with us this week, on Monday and Wednesday and Friday, we were out here at the lake singing carols. And the... The, the glow that comes over people when they hear these lyrics to some of these songs, the, the sacred carols that we were singing, especially on Friday, there were, there were some who would stop, and it was cold. Some of you were there on Friday. It was cold on Friday, right, Sarah? She was just in the back, like this. Um, some people would stop for the full, you know, 25 minutes and just sit there with a smile on their face with that kind of head tilt of reflection, Right? There, there's an opportunity in this season. There's something attractive about this story that we're invited into. And so that is the invitation of Gabriel for Mary, but also for you. 
to give in to a story that is much larger than the story you're living in, that gives meaning and purpose to the story that you're living in. To, to live in that story daily, wherever it takes you, and to love that story, to nurture the story. At, at this time of Christmas, as we gather tomorrow and we, we sing these songs again, let, don't let the lyrics pass you by just for nostalgia's sake. Let it dig deep inside you that our King, our Savior, has arrived and continues to rule and reign. I am the bondservant of the Lord. May it be done to me according to his will. Amen. Let's pray. God of grace, it can be so easy in the craziness of this season to get caught up in so many things, so many side missions, so many side concerns. So it's my prayer for each of us here this morning and through these next days and through this next week that your spirit would penetrate our heart and mind. And that maybe you would use this week, if we've got a bit of a break from work and from school, whatever it is, that you would use this time to, to grow in us a greater love for this story. That we would fall more and more deeply in love with our Savior, Jesus Christ, who is a wonderful counselor. And maybe, about, maybe some of us need counsel right now. Holy Spirit, give us counsel in our relationships and work and school, decisions we need to make. Some of us need a, a mighty God. We've been running after so many things left and right to, to try to give us meaning and, and strength and, and bring beauty and purpose in our lives and they just continue to let us down and we're tired from running on that treadmill. We need a mighty God to save us. May we cling to you. May we submit to you. Many of us here need an everlasting father, someone who will hold us, em, em, embrace us like the, the father of the prodigal son, just waiting for us and embracing us and not letting us go. You are an everlasting father. Some of us just need to embrace you and weep. And Jesus, it's, it seems ironic that in this season we need to call on you as our prince of peace when there's so much stuff coming at us from so many directions, may we find our center and our peace and our foundation and our rock in you, Jesus. For whatever these next days bring, we pray we would be ever mindful that you are our unseen guest, that you walk with us. Please work in us and through us in the name of Jesus as we live out this story that we give into. We want to live in it and we love it. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.